pastor and pastor's wife. I love him dearly. He is a good friend, and I do appreciate him and Miss Robin letting us come stay at his house this week. It has been a it's been has been difficult for the last month or so, but uh, God's good. And uh, man, we had a good time at my dad and my mom's funeral service. We we just had church, you know, and. Uh, we had a great time, and Dad was a godly man, lived 92 years, and, and uh, you know, we were very fortunate to, uh, that God allowed us to have him for 65-plus years, and uh, we just had a good time together. He was just, uh, he was just old, <laughs> and, and so I whip, but he's in a good place, and I'm thankful for that. I'm not sad for him at all. I wouldn't want him to come back here for nothing, and... Uh, Oh, man, goodness. Dad, uh, he'd been pastoring since he was about 25 years old, so he was um, close to 70 years, uh, Dad pastored. And, uh, in fact, he started Springtown Baptist Temple there in Springtown, Texas, when he was about 64 years old, started a new church, God blessed. And uh, my bro- brother's pastoring there now, and uh, just, uh, man, still, it's still preaching up to about two years ago, and uh, just uh, still pastoring up until about two years ago. And uh, just God blessed him with good health. And, uh, you know, dad, just dad, you know how dads are sometimes. They're kind of, you know, my grandmother never called us hard-headed. She always called us long-headed. <laughs> you know, so uh, <clears throat> dad was that. And, uh, but, you know, dad's, uh, I, I love my dad and mom dearly. And it's good to have them. And uh, they're just in a good place. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we didn't have to go through anything with them and, my brothers and sisters, I've got two brothers and two sisters, and uh, God was good to us. We're all good, you know, we're good friends, my brothers and sisters, and uh, we took care of their funeral service and together, and, and uh, the funeral director there in Springtown came and told my sister one day, she had gone in to finish paying some things for the funeral services, and and uh, he said, do you mind if I tell you something personal? And, and, of course, my sister said no. And he said, I just want to thank you and your family for the way you've handled your mom and dad's funeral service. He, he said, uh, you, you can tell that uh, your dad was a godly man and that you were a godly family by how you conducted yourselves during all this. And uh, so I, I say that as a testimony to my mom and dad. Uh, and uh, so it, it, it's just a neat thing uh, to that. But I'm thankful for them. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, while you turn there, I have had a good time with your pastor this week, even though he didn't win every game, you know. I do, let, I do allow him to win every once in a while, amen. You know, you have to do that, keep him happy. You have to stroke his ego every once in a while, make him feel good. <laughs> uh, we've been friends for 20 years, and my first... I didn't know your pastor from Adam, and uh, I flew to Myrtle Beach to play in the PGT for the first time, and uh, we were staying in this uh, condo thing. It was me, Brother Frank Wood, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, Brother Dave McCracken was in there together, and I'd stayed in this, I went back to this back room, and, uh, and I think it was... Brother Dave came in and said, you can't stay back there. I said, well, okay. You know, he said, I said, why? He said, oh, that's Frank's ring. And I said, well, does he snore? And he goes, oh, yeah, he snores loud. <laughs> so I said, well, good, I'll just stay in here. And I came in, and, and Brother Abel came in. <laughs> of course, he doesn't snore. 
much. And we, I still didn't know him. And we played the next day, and I'm trying to get, you know, be, you know, make myself friendly and get to know some of the preachers. I'd only known Brother Dave for just a, for a few years. And we were, he was coming off the green, and I was coming toward that way. And, and I went up, and I said, I said, oh, I said, hey, how you doing? And he said, don't talk to me. I just made a nine on this hole. And I thought, okay, you know. <laughs> That was my first encounter with Brother Jeff Abel. <laughs> but we've been good friends ever since. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a uh, baptism by fire, amen. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, if you'll turn there, if you would please, and if you'll please stand in honor of reading the Word of God tonight. And we're just going to read the first six verses. Found your place, amen. amen. And sing the multitudes. He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And here's what I'd like to preach. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Father, I pray, God, that you'd Help me, Lord, tonight. Uh, calm me, Lord, and fill me with your words, Lord, not my own. And I pray, God, that I'll bring honor and glory to you this evening, Lord, as I preach and try to challenge the folks that are here. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege. Thank you again for Brother Jeff, Lord, and Miss Robin as they've allowed us to come stay in their home. Thank you, God, for good friends. I pray, God, that you'd bless, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I read a story here a while back about this little boy. He had <clears throat> he went to bed one night, and Mom, you know, got him all uh, situated in his bed. And about midnight, Mom, Dad was still up, you know, and as Mom and Dad do, oftentimes talking and going through their day together. And they had heard they heard this big thump in the back bedroom where the little boy had gone to bed, and. And uh, then the little boy started crying. Mom ran back to where the little boy was at, and she began to talk to him. What happened? What happened? And he said, well, I don't know what happened. And she, he said, I guess I fell out of bed. And Mom said, well, how, why did you fall out of bed? And he said, well, I guess I was too close to where I got in. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I want to talk to you about living on the edge of righteousness. You know, this, uh, this beatitude here it talks about a strong desire. Talk, it's talking about ambition, a driving pursuit of a passionate force inside our soul. It, it, it's not the kind of ambition that, that the people of the world have, you know. It's a, in contrast to the common ambition of man with their own lust, accomplishments, and their own the goals that satisfy their own ego. It's not, nothing like that. But it's a, a, an ambition of holiness, and it's a holy ambition, and something that God has placed in us. And there's nothing wrong with ambition when we do it in the perfect will of Almighty God. But there is an ambition, the things of this old world, what gets us in trouble. I'll give you some examples. For example, Satan himself at one time, if you recall, he stood in the splendor of God's glory, in fact, his name, Lucifer, it means star of the morning or the bright one. And, but he wasn't satisfied with living in God's glory. And he said in his heart in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, he said, I will ascend to heaven. 
I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. You see, his ambition was not to reflect God's glory and, and uh, his ambition was to usurp God's sovereign power with, you know, while forsaking righteousness. So when, when Satan declared his intention to make himself like the Most High, well, the Most High responded, and God said in verse 15, he told Satan, thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now that's the kind of ambition that the world has. It's an ambition to lift up oneself. Another example in Scripture, if you recall, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. He ruled over the greatest empire of the known world at that time, and uh, he said, is this not, and I'll paraphrase, is not this the great Babylon? He said, that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. But then God told him, he said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to eat grass like the cattle of the field and you're going to walk on all fours like an animal. That's the kind of ambition that the world has. There's another man that had uh, ambition like the world in, in Scripture, and it was the rich farmer, if you recall him. His crops got so large that he didn't have enough space for all of them. And he said, I'll tear down these barns, and I'll big, build bigger and better barns. And so he said, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God told him, he said, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, and Whose shall all these things be? So Satan hungered for power. Nebuchadnezzar hungered for praise. And the rich farmer hungered for pleasure. And because they hungered for the wrong things and rejected God's good things and God's righteousness, they forfeited both. Listen, God, Jesus declared that the deepest desire of every person ought to be to hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's what God would have us do. In fact, the Declaration of Independence, you're familiar with it, I'm certain, and it, it states that every citizen has the right uh, to the pursuit of happiness. Now, our founding fathers, they did not guarantee that everyone who did pursue it would find it, but he, they did say that we have the right to pursue it. So each person is free to, listen, to seek whatever kind of happiness he wants in the way that he wants within the law. But now listen, and watch it. The sad thing is that most U.S. citizens, like most people throughout all of history, they have chosen to pursue the wrong kind of happiness in the ways that do not provide happiness at all. Listen, the same is true spiritually. God says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so the Lord says that the way to happiness, the way to being truly blessed, is the way of spiritual hunger and thirst. Now, there's a lot of people today that, that look for a satisfaction in the things of this world. We live in this microwave society to where we want everything and we want it right now. Amen. And listen, we can put a baked potato in a microwave and something that takes 45 minutes in an oven takes about 10 in a microwave and we still get impatient. Yeah. But God teaches us, listen, that blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now I want to show you, first of all, the necessity for spiritual hunger. 
Hunger and thirst represent the necessities of the physical life, the basic physical needs. Jesus is saying here that righteousness is required for spiritual life just as food and water are required for physical life. But listen, righteousness is not an optional spiritual supplement, but it's a spiritual necessity. A lot of folks today think that, uh, that, that, that spiritual supplement is something that we pick and choose what we want, but that is not so. If we want to be filled, if we want to have satisfaction today, we must hunger and thirst after righteousness. I was telling our folks the other day that I eat, drink, and sleep Central Park Baptist Church. I love our church. I love the cause of Christ. And I go to bed at night thinking about the things of God. And I wake up in the morning ready to get in my Bible. Why? Because I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness so I can be filled with the right things, not with the things of this world. Listen, it's not a spiritual supplement. And just as we can't live physically without food and water, we cannot live spiritually without righteousness. In 436 B.C., Rome experienced a famine to the point that literally thousands threw themselves into the Tiber River rather than starve to death. Famine also struck England in A.D. 1005 and literally thousands of people died. Throughout the century, listen, we live in an agriculturally uh, society where no one ought to go to bed hungry. Yet 800, and I looked at this the other day, 828 million people go to bed every day today hungry. 828 million. Listen, a starving person has a single all-consuming passion, and that is for food and water. Nothing else has the slightest attraction. You take a brand new car, and you put it in front of an individual that's starving to death. Listen, that car means nothing to them. Amen. You take a big bank account. Listen, someone that is starving to death, have one, they have one thing on their mind. They want something to eat and they want something to drink. The sad thing is there are millions who are without God's righteousness and they are starved to death spiritually. Yet churches all over the country, I know for a fact in the Dallas Metroplex, there are churches everywhere that people flock to because they are not looking for something that will fill them spiritually. They're looking for something, as the Bible says, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, saying, preach unto me smooth sayings. Listen, I, I was talking to someone the other day that knew your pastor, and he said, y'all are, a, a lot, y'all are a lot alike, but different. And I really didn't know what he meant by that. But I said, I, I love your pastor because one thing I, I know about him, that he'll tell you like it is, and he, he, he's not going to make any bones about it. I like that. I don't want somebody, listen, if I'm sick, I want somebody to come tell me I'm sick. You know, if I, if I have a heart problem, I don't want someone to tell me that if you'll rub something on the back of your hand, you might feel better later. No, I want them to tell me that I'm sick and, and that, that if you'll do this, then you'll get to feeling better. It's the same thing spiritually speaking. We live in a society today that does not want someone to tell them that they are spiritually sick. 
You know, they want to want you to beat around the bush and they want to, uh, you know, they want to want you to pet on them a little bit. No, listen, we live in a day that people need to know about sin. They need to know that they are sick. And listen, they need to know that if they will hunger and thirst after righteousness, then and only then will they be filled. God's righteousness today, listen, only comes through the word and having a, a relationship with him. Listen, they, they live on the edge of righteousness. I was talking to somebody the other day and they, they mentioned this and they said, man, I'm living on the edge and I thought you better get away from it. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people today that are living on the edge of righteousness. Their tendency is to turn to self and to the world for meaning and, and life as the Bible says in 2 Peter 2.22 and also in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 11 it says, as a dog returns to its vomit, or as a sow that's washed goes back to the mire. God has created men for, with a need for Him. But people, listen, tried to satisfy that need through the things of this world, through lifeless gods of their own making. Listen, a lot of Christians, I like, I, I like little Debbie white donuts and little powder ones. Oh, yeah. I love those things. In fact, if, and I've asked my wife, every once in a while she'll bring them in and they, I, I, I put them right by my bed. Yep. And she, those bags, you know, those bags are really small. You realize that, right? And they don't have that many in there. And I can usually, if I pace myself, they'll usually take two nights to finish them. I love those things. But I also like honey buns. Oh, yeah, the big ones. I don't like all the white stuff on them. I just want one, the regular glazed honey bun with a Coke. Yeah, and I don't drink a lot of Cokes, but I'll drink part of one with a honey bun. I'll drive down the road. I'm, in fact, we're leaving in the morning. I'll probably stop and get one. But you know what that is? That's junk food. And a lot of people live on junk food. It has really, listen, it really has no nutritional value whatsoever. Amen. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Well, listen, there's a lot of Christians today that are living on spiritual junk food. Yeah. Listen, almost 40%, listen, watch. Think about it. Almost 40% of Americans eat fast food every day. And we live in a society today that wants the same thing. They want to go to church and have some spiritual fast food and get out and go about their business. Listen, God help us today to, got, to, to have a, a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. That's the only thing that will satisfy the, that, that desire in our hearts today. Uh, we live in a, a religious society surrounded by people who are saved, but they want to achieve spiritual maturity on their terms. They want to be saved, but only want to achieve a, a, a certain level of righteousness. In a lot of churches today, are willing to give it to them. I thank God today for churches like this one and uh, like Central Park Baptist Church. It'll stand up and just do the right thing. God help us. We live in a day that we need some churches and some people that just want to do right. Second Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, thus saith the Lord. We're talking about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. These two verses, they're a quote from Isaiah 52, verse 11 and 12, when God led Israel out of Babylonian captivity. 
Now listen, God told them to leave everything behind, to take nothing out of the defiled land. And they were to come out from unbelievers and be separate. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it, it doesn't mean that believers are to leave the cities or the communities or the workplace of the world. Believers aren't to isolate themselves, but we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Listen, in fact, I, I was telling your preacher about this the other day. I thought this was interesting. I've never seen this before. We're, we're studying about Moses at, at home. And if you look back in Exodus chapter 8, uh, I, I thought this was interesting. Exodus chapter 8 and look in verse 20 uh, through verse 22. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I preached this the other day, and I, I, I preached on a message, uh, uh, Lice or flies, you choose. Okay? Well, here's the flies. It said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and, and stand before Pharaoh. Uh, and by the way, listen, God says, Rise up early in the morning. Amen. You know, if you're going to serve God, it's going to have to be some dedication. Amen. Rise up early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh. He cometh forth to the water. And I, I really thought this was interesting because, uh, uh, you know, Moses had been in front of Pharaoh uh, three, three or four times already saying, Let my people go. God said, Let my people go. Well, God says, listen, you go tell him again. The message hadn't changed. It's still the same message. And, and, and God tells Moses, you go tell him again. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, me and you, or I'm, I'm thinking maybe me, I would be thinking, now, Lord, you know, I, I've already told him three times. You know, I mean, he hasn't listened all these other times. And, and besides, you know, I, he, Pharaoh's a busy guy. I don't even know where he's at. So God says, Moses, just in case you're wondering where he's at, he's down by the water. You know, God knows where we are. Amen. So, so Moses goes down, and I'm sure Pharaoh's out there trying to get the flies off of him or trying to get some, you know, relief from that. And can you imagine seeing the, I, I, I can see it in his eyes because I've been out knocking on doors before and are going visiting somebody that maybe hadn't been in church for a while, and you knock on their door, and they open the door, and you're standing there, and their eyes get about this big, and they go, oh, no, it's the preacher. And so here's Pharaoh, and here comes Moses. And he goes, oh, man, here comes that preacher again. I wonder what he wants this time. Same thing. Yes, sir. Same thing. So he says, he, he tells him, he said, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, upon thy people, and into thy houses, into the houses of the Egyptians, I shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are, and, and watch this, and I will sever in that day in the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there. Now they might have went through some of the plagues up to this point, but God says, but now I'm going to sever them and, and, and they're not going to suffer these swarms of flies. Watch, and, and, and he tells us why. Why did God sever them? Why did he separate them? He said to the end... Uh, that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Listen, we live in a world today that thinks if we're going to reach the world, we got to be like the world. Well, not according to this. Listen, God said, I'm going to let, uh, the, the reason I'm doing that is so that they'll know who I am. 
Listen, God help us. It goes back to 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, thus saith the Lord. We live in a day where oh, people think if you're going to reach the world, you've got to dress like the world. You've got to act like the world, talk like the world, go where the world. That is absolutely against what Scripture teaches. And we see it way back here in the Old Testament. Listen, God led Israel out of Babylon. He said, leave it all behind. But we're not to isolate ourselves. We're, but we are to be different. Listen, God is saying that believers are different, radically different. We don't have to be militant about it. We don't have to be mean-spirited about it. But we still have to tell them the truth. And if, listen, if somebody doesn't tell us, you know what's going to happen? They're going to die in their sin. And go to a devil's hell without Christ. Listen, I'm telling you that we need a. but the only way we're going to help people is if you and I hunger and thirst after righteousness. You ever get really hungry? I have. We went to Lambert's the other day when we drove down with a, 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 a busload of our people to see the play uh, there in Branson. We went to see Esther and and we stopped on the way to Lambert's and I didn't eat all day because I had already seen, I've eaten there before and they have the best chicken livers. <laughs> oh man, deep fried. Amen. If it's not deep fried with some little grease on there, it's not worth eating. <laughs> and I want you to know, I got me an order of chicken livers and they were awesome. Listen, you know what? I couldn't wait. And then, of course, the guy comes around with the rolls. You know, some of our folks had never seen that. My sister was there. They loved it, but they were hungry. Listen, but I want you to know, we need to have that same hunger and thirst for the things of Almighty God. Listen, God said for you and me as children to God to hunger and thirst after righteousness. God built us that way. There's a necessity for spiritual hunger. But let me show you the meaning of spiritual hunger. Most of us have never faced life-threatening hunger. I have not. We never had a whole lot growing up. You know, we uh, two brothers and two sisters in my family. And, and, of course, I'm the best guy in the family. I mean, if you don't believe me, just ask me. <laughs> but we never had a lot, but we had enough. Yeah. Amen. My mom that always provided for us well. Uh, and I never faced a, a time where I was ever hungry or, or, or thirsty to the point I thought I was going to starve to death. We, we always had plenty. We had good stuff. We had potted meat sandwiches. Oh, yeah. Pork and beans with that little piece of whatever that is in there. Oh, yeah. I liked that. I got it out first. I, I mean, we, we, had, we had enough. But we think of hunger as maybe missing a meal or two or, or to be thirsty as to have to wait a couple of hours for a drink. But the hunger and thirst Jesus is talking about here is in, more intense than that. I found this story and it was during the liberation of uh, Palestine in World War I. And uh, there was a combined force of British, uh, Australian and, and New Zealand soldiers. They were pursuing the Turks as they retreated back from the desert. And, and so as the Allied troops, they were moving north uh, past Beersheba, and they, they began to outdistance their water supply. They had a caravan of camels that, uh, that carried their water, and they began to, as they pursued after the Turks, they got too far out in front of them. And, 
Well, the water ran out for the soldiers and, and it says that their mouths got dry, their heads began to ache and they became dizzy and faint. Uh, faint. Their eyes got bloodshot. Their lips began to swell as a result of, of no water. And, uh, and they knew that if they didn't uh, make it to the, what they were looking for, the wells of Sharia by nightfall, that instead of hundreds dying, as that already had happened, that uh, thousands of their soldiers would die because of a lack of water. So literally, these soldiers were fighting for their lives, and they managed to drive these Turks away from the wells of Sharia. Well, as water, as they got there, and the water began to be distributed from the, the cistern that they had found, the more abled body, the bodied uh, soldiers were, they were required to stand at attention and wait until all the wounded got something to drink. And his story goes that it was four hours before the last man had his drink. And during that time, it said the men stood no more than 20 feet from thousands of gallons of water to drink, of which had been their consuming passion for days. They agonized and thirst because of the lack of water. And, and one of their officers who was present that day, this is what he said, and I quote, he said, I believe that we all learned our first real Bible lesson on the march from Beersheba to Sharia Wells. If such were our thirst for God, for righteousness, and for His will in our lives, a consuming, all-embracing, preoccupying desire, how rich in the fruit of the Spirit would we be? Listen, folks, that ought to be you and me today as born-again children of God. We ought to have an all-consuming desire and passion to be filled, to have that hunger and thirst after the righteousness of Almighty God. Listen, and it's only at that point to where we will be the effective children of God that God wants us to be. But we've got to have that hunger and that thirst. And I'm fearful today that, that Christians don't have that hunger and that thirst for the things of God like we used to have. Uh, God help us to, to have that driving desire for that. Listen, the child of God ought to have a deep longing for holiness. We're studying Moses and we talked about this just a while ago and where Moses was in the wilderness and a God, a God appeared to him in a burning bush and called him to service. And, and when he goes back to Egypt to deliver the, the people, he saw God's might and power in the miracles and in the ten plagues. Listen, he saw, God's, he saw God part the Dead Sea and swallow up the Egyptian army. He saw God's glory in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led Israel through the wilderness. He saw the glory of God shining over the Holy of Holies. Over and over, Moses sought after God's glory. And then we read in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, the Bible says, The Lord spake to Moses face to face as a man speaketh to his friend. But listen, even after Moses spoke to God face to face, Moses was never satisfied and he always wanted to see more. And he prayed in Exodus 33, 18, Lord, show me thy glory. Listen, he had a hunger and a thirst to see the glory of Almighty God. Listen, can I ask you tonight, where's that hunger and thirst for you and me today? God said in verse 19, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee 
and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Listen, God, God showed him. David sought after God in Psalm 63 and verse 1. <clears throat> and he says, Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. The Apostle Paul longed for the righteousness of God. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 3. Look over in Philippians real quick. In chapter 3. And look in verse 9 and verse 10. Verses that you're familiar with. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 and 10 says, And be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Years ago, someone told me of this individual who started coming to a Bible study, but after they had been there for just a few weeks, they, they gave it up. And, and they explained that, listen, that, and this is the reason why they quit. They said that they wanted to be religious, but did not want to make the commitment that Scripture demands to be so. So they quit. When I was pastoring in Pampa, Texas, I had a young man, had, was, had his wife and them were married in the church and, and uh, had a little girl. He came to me one day and he said, Preacher, I won't be back. And I said, Ricky, why won't you be back? And he said, well, he said, because I'm tired of being good. And he never stepped foot back in the church. Went by and visited him on several occasions, but listen, but, but he was done. Listen, I want you to understand his, his, his life turned into a train wreck because he quit. Listen, when a person abandons all hope, now think about this. When a person aband abandons all hope of saving himself, all confidence in self-righteousness and begins to hunger for the salvation that brings God's righteousness and the obedience that God requires, then he'll be blessed then he will be filled. Then he will be satisfied. You see, the giving of satisfaction, that's God's work. Yeah. yeah. Our part is to seek. His part is to satisfy. So we got to stop living on the edge. You know, we, we've got far too many Christians today. I, I was telling my church this the other day. We've got Christians today that think they can play with sin. They say, man, look, I can get this close. Don't bother me. Look at that. Did you see that? I got, I got my foot right in there. And I, I am, oh, listen, you cannot play with sin and get by with it. I don't want to be. I, I want to be like the, 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 the rich guy that was hiring a chauffeur and, and he gave three drivers this uh, scenario and he said, listen, uh, the car is four, going 40 miles an hour right toward the edge of a cliff. It's a 100-foot drop-off. He said, number one, he said, how close do you think you can get? And he said, listen, I'm telling you, I'm a good driver. I could probably get within 20 feet and get that car stopped and everything's good. He says, okay, number two, how close can you get? He said, man, I'm telling you, that guy said 20 feet. I know I could get within 10 feet. He said, okay, number three, what about you? And number three said, well, listen, sir, I'm, it's all good to you. I'm not getting anywhere close to the edge of that cliff. And the guy goes, you're hired. Amen. 
We've got far too many Christians today trying to see how close they can get uh, to the edge of sin and the edge of this world and, and without getting anything on them. And when we ought to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness so that God uh, can fill us and then he will satisfy us. Listen, God help us to be the kind of Christians, listen, if we will seek, God will satisfy. Psalm 107 and verse 9, it says, For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm 34, 10, it says, They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalms 23, verse 1 and verse 5, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to be happy, joy-filled? Then all you have to do is stop living on the edge of righteousness. All you have to do is make the commitment to live for God and be obedient. Listen, God just, my, my dad used to tell me, this. all you got to do is just do what I tell you. I may not understand why he told me. Now, I'm 64 years old now. I can look back and I can see, you know, you, you may not see it then. But I always told my kids, I learned this from my dad. I said, listen, you may not know why I'm telling you this, but I'm telling you there's a reason why. And even though you don't understand it, if you'll just do it, you'll be a whole lot better off. Listen, I'm here to let you know that if we'll just hunger and thirst after righteousness, it'll sure help us and stay away from a lot of needless pain and the needless suffering if we'll just simply hunger and thirst after righteousness. Father, help us, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd speak to hearts. Lord, I, I don't know folks here tonight, but God, you do. And Lord, maybe there's some folks that are just kind of on the edge. They're not quite in. They're not out. But they're not where they need to be. Lord, so I pray, God, that you'd speak to their hearts. I pray, Father God, that you'd, Lord, just... Uh, give liberty tonight, Lord, during this invitation time and folks will just come. Maybe there's someone that has a, a special need. Maybe they're carrying a, a burden in their heart and life. God, if they'll just come, Lord, and just, Lord, give themselves to you and have that hunger and that thirst, that desire, Lord, to stay close to you. God, I'll give you the praise for it. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege that you've given us to be here tonight because it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. While we stand and while we sing just a verse of invitation, <clears throat> if you need to come, I want to encourage you to come. Come on right now while we sing. You need to come. Come on. Come on. All to Jesus, I surrender. Come on. If you need to come, Lord, speaking to your heart.